0: Land light, radio, land light, radio, high energy, no filter. Oh yeah.
1: Okay, folks, we're back here in Anchorage with uh, Teria. Hello, Teria. Hi. You, uh, you had made a Facebook post about um, Kelsey Green situation, which has been all over the news. A uh, Young woman who was who was died in custody. Um, and you had, based on your post, dealt with some similar stuff in the past and you wanted to talk about it and somebody tagged me in it and I reached out to you and here we are.
0: Yes. Uh, well, the reason why I made the post was because mostly I, well, I'm an advocate. I'm also a formerly incarcerated woman, been out of the system since, uh, 1984 when I went into foster care. And then i was sentenced to two years at the age of 14 for running away from the foster care in alaska in alaska um, my charge was unlawful evasion it was against the law to run away if you were in state's custody and then where'd you go
1: fairbanks youth facility no when you ran away you just go. i just
0: was living on the streets oh, and wow. i just didn't i preferred to live on the streets rather than be in the foster homes and the group homes that i was in because they were not good um, uh, and which that's a totally different story, but, uh, so I became, an, I, I ended up in the adult system and was in and out until the last time in, uh, April, 2005, I was arrested and charged with 11 felony counts of manufacturing and delivering drugs to a minor. My teenage son was living with me and I allowed him, him to use drugs. I had a really, um, pretty bad history as Damn, far as 11
1: counts a, sounds like a lot yeah
0: well I had a an addiction issue that started with prescription uh, to op- of opiates um, but my addiction started when I was living in my own home my parents home I was doing drugs and drinking at a very young age with them and so I turned around and lived out the same thing that I had uh, did with my own parents and I'm not proud of that. Um, I have healed from that today, and I've taken some steps for accountability. But I was sentenced to 20 years, uh, with eight suspended. Wow. While I was incarcerated, I
1: Where were you in Alaska? And um, yeah, hmm, Highland or what?
0: at Highland? Yeah, that's the only women's prison in the state. While I was there, I did treatment. Um, I applied myself. I didn't get into trouble. I, you know was given those opportunities to be a part of the programs that were inside the institution. And I became the lead education assistant when I wasn't in programs. So I just made sure that I continuously um, start it, educating myself.
1: This is in what year? Uh, from
0: 2005 to 2010. and um, But prior to that, I had been in and out of the system uh, I had an addiction issue, and with that addiction issue, I was um, a sex worker. Uh, we had uh, escort services on twenty seventh and thirty sixth, and on Minnesota. And I worked inside those escort services to support my addiction. And um,
1: so somebody would call the escort service, and then they would send you out, or they'd call you, or they
0: both. They would come in. Or they would do out calls. And um, a lot of the clients were prominent men, married men. Um, Yeah,
1: I bet. And people you recognize, like people you recognize, like from the community or sometimes?
0: um, Because I was in that. Lifestyle, and I was not into politics or any kind of community stuff. I was living an addict's life. I didn't really pay attention to that. All I cared about was getting money to support my uh, substance use issues. It was, it was heroin? Um, opiates, and yeah, but that's basically it. And then later on, it became meth. But um, my, my major problem was the opiate issue.
1: What were you like, what kind of, like, pills, or was it...
0: It started out with pills, and then, um which I was getting from doctors, and then I, I would get heroin off the street, and it just p- continued to progress.
1: Would you, like, would you shoot it?
0: Yeah, eventually I started oh, wow. taking it orally, then I progressed into snorting it, and then I progressed into shooting it.
1: So when you shoot it, that's, like, the, I mean, that's the best way that's to get like... it, the quickest, right?
0: Quickest, and... Uh, most um, addictions progressive, so eventually you're going to continue to get worse and worse and worse, and um, and eventually you your your mind and your
1: choices go way out the window. And heroin uh, seems like the worst drug, or maybe the one drug, but the one where I mean, people can do Mer- coke or they can do other stuff, and they can kind of do it on and off, you know, and maybe not be super. I mean, heroin seems like just it always leads to the worst outcome yeah i mean you um, can't just be doing heroin recreationally you know once in a while and no it's not it's a horrible horrible drug
0: well because a lot of it has to do with um it's not just a mental addiction it becomes physical Mm -hmm. and you have to continue to use to not feel sick and the the way that I could best describe coming off of opiates is like having gasoline dumped on you and being set on fire. You're trapped in your own body and you want to get out of it. And to get past that feeling, you have to use again so you're not feeling that way. that's, what,
1: that's what withdrawals? Yeah. How long does that last?
0: It can last. It just depends on uh, the person. They can be – it depends on the person in regards to their weight, how much they use, uh, how frequent – and the more you use the tougher the withdrawal if a woman is underweight or a guys underweight malnutrition the withdrawal can be uh, much more damaging to the body um, and uh, the individual can end up being extremely weak um, So once
1: people go through the withdrawal I mean you hear about you know so many people get, get clean they would go through withdrawal and rehab but they rel- they relapse I mean it's just it the, the it's just the addiction the the feeling is so good you want to or as other maybe sometimes people have other life problems they're dealing with
0: well i think addiction is just a symptom
1: cuz once once you go through the withdrawal i mean at that point you're you're no longer really craving it right you're physically craving it
0: you crave it but you're not physically craving it i mean you don't physically need it but you an individual that becomes an addict um will have to Um, do everything possible to stay in recovery. You know, the struggle doesn't end. Um, And so that's why they have medication now to help individuals. There's, you know, different paths to recovery. Some individuals choose to do methadone, methadone, some do Suboxone, and then some do Vivitrol. Um, And those are just medications that help individuals that may not be able to do recovery without you know, abstinent space.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I'm abstinence. space. I haven't.
1: So when did you s- qu- quit using?
0: Um, the day since the day I was arrested, April second, two thousand
1: five. Oh, so you've been clean for what, fourteen years? Yeah.
0: So, um, when I heard about what happened to well, backtrack. Um, when my son was killed, my son Christopher Seaman was murdered, June twenty second, two thousand fifteen over a bag of heroin
1: yeah you're told that's that's crazy. I I remember that
0: and so um I was at the Palmer courthouse one day doing um arraignment stuff because it was the uh kid that killed my son was you know he got head court and I came to court And I ran into, um, Kelsey Green's mother in the court. And she had mentioned to me that her daughter had been arrested. She only weighed 80 pounds. And I told her that she needed to stay on top of the department of corrections because I knew their detox protocol. And the reason why I knew their detox protocol, because 19 years ago in the year 2000, um, I had been arrested and, uh, I had an opiate addiction then and I was sent to Highland Mountain and um, I weighed 117 pounds and the only reason I know that I weighed 117 pounds was because they had to walk me over to the scale to weigh me to get my weight and I remember them saying 117, 117 but I could not stand up on my own they had to hold me up I was going to the bathroom on myself I couldn't hold my bowels um, and by the fifth day I w- was hallucinating but prior to my arrest the, day were, be- the, the withdrawal yeah but prior to my arrest the day before um, I had broken my hand and I went to the emergency room and I was supposed to go get a cast on it the following day or maybe it was two days after um, and but I was had been arrested and while I was because I was arrested. Department of Corrections had to take care of my broken hand, but unfortunately that didn't happen. So I got put in solitary confinement with a broken hand, and I was going through withdrawal, stuck in a cell, um, and never was given medical attention for it. And my hand is still broken today. And so I warned. Which, one is Which hand is it? It's my right hand right there. Ugh. It grew back
1: like. Yeah, no, I, can see, I can see it. Ooh. Does it hurt?
0: No, it doesn't hurt because it's healed that way. But during the time, you know, my hand was black and blue and I remember being, it hurting.
1: Yeah. How'd you how'd you break it?
0: I hit a wall like a dummy. You punched a wall. Oh. Yeah.
1: Don't mess with you. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but. Um, you
1: look good. You look like a lot, you look a lot, you look 117 pounds. Now you look much better.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. I'm a little too heavy, but it is what it is. But I'd rather be this than, than where I was 19 years I think you ago. Look, I think you look great. Well, thank you. Um, so in that conversation with um, Kelsey's mother, I had so made- That was
1: back in, what, 2015 or something, 2015, right? yeah. Three, yeah, okay. So this is a- so you,
0: Or no, it was a 2016. Six, yeah, so it was about in, three years ago. In January ago. So, 2016. So
1: you so talked to her mom right before it have been- a couple days right before she died. I believe
0: it was 5 days prior um and it, I think it was the day that she had been arrested and so the thing is is that um I said those things to her because I just knew you know that I knew the, the knew, protocol and I know how people are treated So you knew
1: you, her mom told you or about the, she had, she was an, an addict? Yeah. So so she told you that and then you told her hey You know, you know, watch those. Well,
0: she had seen me talking about, you know, on social media. A lot of people had seen that my son was killed, and I was, you know, doing articles and talking about how we needed to address the addiction issues in our state and not incarcerating our way out of it, and um, and that we only had uh, limited detox beds for people that wanted to get into recovery and people that were wanting to get off of the drugs. They couldn't get the help that they needed. I guess.
1: I guess for me, the and I've read a ton about this, and I've, I mean, Frontline has covered incarceration for for a long time, and I've looked at, you know, what countries, you're you know, what countries in Europe have done, and fundamentally, our society still treats addiction, like addiction to substances or possession of drugs, as a criminal offense rather than a, a medical problem. Yeah, and it's it seems like the information and the research is so clear you know i mean if, if you're if you're doing drugs and you do another crime you know you steal or you, you assault someone or something I mean, there needs to be you know accountability for sure there but just, just the act of doing the dr- drugs or possessing the drugs you know and then people go into the jail and like what you're talking about with your your son you were telling me earlier this this kid was who killed your son was put put in jail pretty pretty young right
0: yeah he was a teenager 1718 and he was sent to uh Spring Creek which is a maximum security no for stealing and I think it was robbery I'm not exactly sure mm-hmm. what conviction it was um but in that my thought is is why would he why would why would um the department send a youngster to maximum security yard um, instead of rehabilitating and the only reason I, I mean, in my mind, I know why you know, we I see so many people commenting on social media, put them in jail, they can get the treatment or and stuff like that while they're in jail but that's furthest from the truth um, our institutions are set up not just in Alaska but nationwide where individuals are treated like animals, like they are less than human and this is why
1: I don't know do you, I don't know if you've seen there was a Netflix special a year or two ago about that Khalif Browder you know him you know him
0: yeah I've watched it
1: you know this poor kid got grabbed up for stealing a backpack which he never stole yeah he didn't do it mm-hmm. but he wouldn't he wouldn't cop he wouldn't plea because 90 some percent of cases go. To, they get pled plead out and most people are don't have the money for an attorney and they don't have the money for bail so he wouldn't he wouldn't plea because he didn't do it and he was stuck in Rikers for years yeah Never charged, solitary. I mean, and then the, the, I mean, he finally got. They finally dropped the charges. I mean, I, I was so angry watching it. You know, and the then guy the fucking committed guy committed suicide because yeah. he was for two years. I think it was two years or more. He was t- stuck in Rikers Island, and he was put in solitary because these guys were trying to, f- you know, so inside he gets into trouble because guys are trying to fight like hardened criminals. This guy's like seventeen or eighteen years old when he went in, and and they like track the file, and it was just like. Put in the bottom of the stat. I mean, nobody. You know, they couldn't afford the bail. His family didn't have money, a lot of money, and the bail was like nothing. It was like, I think it was like a thousand, but you know, it wasn't even that much money. But they couldn't afford it, and yeah. like the guy committed suicide. Yep, because he was just so screwed up. You know, there's like teenage years. He's in this horrible like place. And
0: that's that's a lot of the reason why I do um, a lot of advocacy for our incarcerated and. It's because I know uh, the majority of those that are incarcerated don't have access to the treatment that they n- need. Um, the kid that killed my son is um, being housed at Spring Creek, um, but they have zero ran programs there. Um, so
1: you said, you, you said you talk, you've talked to him?
0: I talked to him just this morning, yeah. I talked to him yesterday, what do, too. What do, you,
1: what do you say to him?
0: I just um, encourage him and tell him, you know, get your life together and whatever I can do to help you to further your education or, you know, to become a better person. um, Just let me know. I'm here to support you. He called and said yesterday that he asked me why I haven't been able to go down and, um, you know, why I haven't come down to meet with the restorative justice guys down there or why I haven't come to talk to him. Do you think he's sorry? absolutely because if he wasn't he wouldn't have done a victim offender dialogue with me on august 14th 2018 um i did a victim offender dialogue with with him was that you like talk in person yes and cnn filmed it it will be the documentary will be released um the the episode will be aired may 19th at five o'clock alaska time and so people so, can, to, can watch that, that were dialogue.
1: You like, was there a glass between you or was it? No,
0: there, we were in a circle. Mm-hmm. Other, other people. Yeah. It was my, myself, uh, my best friend, Caroline Lee Nelson, who's also an advocate, uh, Lauren Walker, who is a facility, the, fa- the facilitator out of Hawaii. She um, runs Hawaii, uh, Hawaii Friends of Restorative Justice. She's a restorative justice attorney an educator in Hawaii. And then, uh, the superintendent, Bill Lipinskis, and then Josh, um, Bill is, um, a rock star. In my opinion, the individual that runs the institution, he's been the superintendent there for, I think three years now. And the way that he operates that institution is, spring um, spring Creek. very, yeah, it's very forward thinking. He wants to see rehabilitation. He's been working in that institution for, 26 years and he has um stated on many occasions that we can't continue to keep doing the same things if we see that it doesn't work we have to do something different now, there's
1: been a lot of coverage of you know wardens or people in tr- all over the country who have done different stuff and mm-hmm. sometimes they think it's their history and, and experience they're it's counterintuitive for them to do something like there's one i saw in what was it on? I think it was BBC or one of these that where they started. They started doing like this voluntary program where you had to be, you couldn't be like a serious offender. You know, you'd go and there'd be, they'd play like board games with the guards, and they'd have like a yoga class. I mean, it was a yoga class, and mm-hmm. it was a very. I mean, if you ever but if you did anything wrong at all, if you messed up at all, you went back into the main main population. And they've had this great success with it. You know, it's like been really people recidivism is way down for people who get out, and uh, the the guy. The warden had said, "You know, I I was like totally apprehensive against this because it's the opposite of what we've done our whole career. You know, you guards are in charge and it's like strict and a lot of force."
0: That's the you're talking about the sixty minute. Um, yeah, I think it was sixty. Yeah, that's right. Sixty minutes.
1: Last I think it was last week or the week before. Yeah, it was just interesting because you could tell that the guy was at first he said he was against it, but he was like, "Oh, because things were going so bad that he had they wanted to try something." Mm-hmm. And, it's been very successful but going back to yours, i mean I, my friend was on october 28th 2012 i had a good friend who was murdered outside of platinum jacks and um for senseless i mean it was just stupid it was after the part of halloween and the par got out and he there was a fight he tried to, he was a really cool russian guy and he tried to intervene it was just a really and the guy pulled out a gun and shot him twice and killed him and i i was trying to my last memory is trying you know trying to revive him and yeah and it took a long time to find the guy. The lo- trial took longer, and I mean, I just—I I don't know. I, I envy your ability to. Because if I saw that guy, I'd, I'd want to. You know, I'd want to. I'd want to hurt him. I, w- I really would. I wouldn't want to talk to him.
0: Oh, I think that that's human nature.
1: I, I don't have um, any. I don't have any desire to talk to that guy. I know? think it's
0: human nature to feel that way. And that's not. That's not even
1: my. That's my friend. This is your son.
0: Yeah, but I think because of I'm on the other end of the spectrum of how I've seen the system fail, and being in it for so long since 1984 foster home foster care group homes juvenile detention and then adult prison we call that from the foster care to prison pop pipeline, and I was just I I was a number in cattle, and. And if the system worked so well, then why was I in it for so long? The way that the system is operating is not um, rehabilitating people. It's uh, it needs to be. It can do better, which is a lot of the reason why I'm so adamantly against um, repealing our uh, our ninety one, well, well, the the criminal justice uh, bill. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that. You know, I've testified many times that and I just went to Juneau and met with some of our lawmakers. You
1: must have missed me because I'm back for the weekend, but I've been in Juneau for the last three months.
0: Well, I spoke with several of them and and my testimony is always going to be the same that we need to reinvest. And I understand that individuals in the community um, want accountability. So do I. I think that people need to be held accountable, but all at the same level. We have nonviolent and violent um, individuals being housed together and they're learning from each other. And then we have a nonviolent person going in and learning from the violent ones and then being released worse. I think that if individuals have a substance use issue, if they have a nonviolent offense, uh, prevention is the key. We need to be focusing on detox and uh, treatment and uh, and diversion programs. If we look at what other countries are doing, such as uh, Norway and Germany. Um, well, Even,
1: even speaking, speaking of Norway, you know, Pete Kelly, the former Senate president, he, he was defeated last year, but he's a really hardcore kind of conservative guy, Christian guy from Fairbanks. Mm mm-hmm. um, His son was actually locked up for something kind of horrible, but um, he uh, he went to Norway, and we we interviewed him this summer. We kind of profiled his race, and I didn't know him that well. You know, very conservative guy. I assume he's one of these kind of tough on crime types. But he went to Norway. He talked about his time checking out their prison system, and and he said that he couldn't argue with the results. You know, the recidivism rates in Norway are way lower than ours. It's only twenty percent. Yeah, and he said that so he, he actually kind of and partially probably because of his own kid and maybe that's part of the reason he wanted to learn about different options and, and but he, he's actually one of these kind of reform guys and yeah he's a really conservative republic he's I'm sure a lot of his people who voted you know voted for him are these folks who just lock him up you know right tough on crime yeah and I'm t- I think you should be tough on crime that's you know violent crime or, or crime that hurts you know but I think you're right you know if, if you don't a lot of folks who go to jail are going to get out. Right, most 95%. Peop- yeah, most people are not, are not going to jail for life. So it's like the question of what do we want to do as a society? To I mean, you've seen other, you know, Frontline did this thing called uh, Prison State years ago, and it was like a four-part series. And they tracked this one guy, he'd been in and out, and, you know, he gets out, and he's really happy, and he's not going to go back. And, you know, he was given, I think he'd worked in the jail for how many years, and he got a couple hundred bucks. And it was kind of like, good luck. By the way, come come every Monday. Come to your parole probation officer. If you don't come, you're going to go back, and you know, really had nowhere to go. I mean, it was really. You just look at it, and you're like, "This guy's going back." Right. There's no, and he did. He they, after a few months, they couldn't find him, and then they were doing the story, and then they later found out he went back. Well, it's like they want him to go back almost. You know, it's like you're putting somebody in a situation where I met this girl in Juno recently. Who was I was at a restaurant. I was chatting with her. And, from Sitka and I said, oh, what are, you, what are you in Juneau? And she said, I just moved here. And I said, you know, um, why? And she was what, she was in um, Lemon Creek and in, in the jail there in, mm-hmm. in Juneau. And um, I said, well, what, "What? how long were you there for? She said, a year. And um, I said, what'd you do? And she said, oh, it was pretty bad. It was domestic. You know, I hit my husband and her boyfriend and it was felony, you know, f- felony assault. And I said, wow, gee, you know, we're talking. And she said... I came here and she goes, thank God there's this program where they're helping her find a place to stay and they got her a job. And she said, if I didn't have this, I, I guarantee I'd be doing something
0: bad. Absolutely, yep. Which is why um, I'm, I've been adamantly uh, pushing for our um, lawmakers to really listen to those with lived experience. Um, you know, like recently they've just been doing... Uh, invited testimony from individuals that are working for department of law or parole and probation but they're not bringing they're not bringing individuals that well the
1: the you know there's i don't know if you followed the quinlan steiner the head public defender the 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 governor's office wouldn't approve his travel to to Juneau to testify on some crime bills so he's in anchorage and he's the head public defender Mm -hmm. and they wouldn't approve his travel yeah He's the guy who's probably going to have the other perspective, like you're talking about. Right. They, they wouldn't approve it, and then he uh, he quit. He resigned, turned his resignation in, and it was supposed to be, I think he was giving him like six months, you know, and, and then they just got rid of him. And they've hired somebody, they've put somebody else in there temporarily, but... Well, they're... I mean, but, you know, but they, they, they'll, they'll fly, I don't know if you followed that Amanda Price, you know, confirmation for the DPS commissioner, but they'll fly in five people from Anchorage who are her subordinates to... Do a press conference and say how awesome she is, right? And but, she, that, but but the public defender, one guy can't come to Juno to testify on very important crime legislation,
0: right? And that's that has been my point, you know. I um, when I testified yesterday, you know, and I've been speaking with um, Shelley Hughes on this subject because she voted to pass Senate Bill ninety one, and now she's against it. And I've tried speaking with her, and I texted her. She said, "I'd really like to talk with you about, you know, some stuff that's going on after I testified yesterday." And I'm not going to change my position on
1: a ton of them have voted. A ton of them voted for it, and now it's just become a a political liability because well, the public's so angry, and they don't even.
0: Most of them don't know why, what's going on yeah. or how the system really works. It's just easy and to say,
1: look, we have crime, SB 91, that's that's the easy solution to but blame. But that's not the problem. And, and that's just become a symbol, basically. It's become, it's, it's, it's like a joke in June. Every year they have a new, every couple of years they have a new legislature and there's this joke where like when it comes up, because it's, it's chronological, the numbers, right? So when it comes up to, to 91, SB 91, they're like, oh, I don't want that, you know, I don't want to have that <laughs> number on my bill, you know?
0: Well, the thing is, is that it has a stigma around it but the thing is is that they what they need to understand is people with lived experience that have successfully uh changed their lives those are the testimonies that need to be heard and they need to be hearing from us on how how they could better the community and how they can start healing individuals because crime is a symptom of addiction and addiction is a symptom of a much deeper issue so we need to start addressing that much deeper issue to prevent the crime that's going on in our communities. Would you, how,
1: how, what percentage of crime would you say is a symptom of... Because I, 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 I think some people are just... There are some just bad people out there. Well, yeah, there is. But, addicts, I, so just, but you
0: know. I think for the most part, generally most of the crimes that are committed in in the communities is... I would say the property people.
1: crimes are probably mostly
0: right. from that. It's, they're individuals seeking to get money to get drugs and and uh, continue that cycle of getting their fix and you know when I asked when I texted Miss Hughes back Senator Hughes back and said please consider invited testimony I didn't get a response Mm -hmm. and and I said that even to our uh, Senate Finance Committee yesterday on my testimony that you know we need to be at the table also and and it's Very unfortunate that we're not being listened to, or that our testimony um, is not being invited to talk about the issues within the system and then the solutions. And me personally, you know, the kid that killed my son, I don't even have uh, trust that the system will even rehabilitate him. So, guess what? I've stepped up to the plate to give him some direction because i want to see him come out a better person because he's going to get out someday
1: how, how long is he sentenced for
0: um he's got 20, about 20 more years left and i and i know that people don't understand how i can do that but I don't, I don't i have a lot of it surrounds um my faith in god i am a christian i'm a follower and believer of jesus christ and I believe in living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Forgiveness and uh, showing um, mercy to individuals that have harmed us is essential for healing. And forgiveness is not only for uh, the offender, and it may not be for the person that has caused harm. It is for the person that is on the other end of it. I have forgiven and have chosen to move forward Because it is my healing process and not everybody's going to be in that place or not going to respond like that. But if we truly want healing in our communities and we truly want to see people getting better, then we need to start focusing on how are we going to help the individual that has caused harm? We cannot treat somebody like an animal and put them in a situation or in an institution and expect that they're going to come out to be better individuals. They're going to come out with what's we what I what Doctor Ter- Terry Gorski calls uh, post incarceration syndrome and relapse. They go inside and they learn criminality and they come out with a lot more issues than what they went in with, and that is PTSD. Um Alaska is in the top 5 for um, using overusing solitary confinement and it's number well, I think, 2. I think
1: they've looked at I mean there's it's pretty clear that how bad solitary confinement is for people. I mean it's
0: Right. Well, Alaska's number 2. We're in the top 5, but I ha- I have the paperwork on it. We're number 2. Just yesterday I had a conversation with my husband and he told me that um an individual that's incarcerated at Goose Creek was taken to the hole for not picking up a, a, a cracker wrapper. The officer yelled at him, and I guess he didn't hear when, after lunch, and they ended up taking him to solitary confinement. To me, that is like,
1: well, that's,
0: it's it's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. And then we have individuals inside our institutions that want treatment they spend all this money on Securus phone systems to catch trafficking, body scanners to scan people to see if they have drugs on them. But they don't spend enough money on rehabilitation. And if you get a dirty UA, instead of helping you and s- assessing you and getting you the help that you need, they put you in solitary confinement. It just makes no sense. As it is now.
1: Seems like it's all all sticks and no, no carrots.
0: Right. Well, as it is now, we have... Nearly 4,000 people incarcerated in the state of Alaska, and we only have 60 beds for inpatient treatment. 40 for men, 20 for women. At Goose Creek, we have 128 beds for uh, outpatient. And then we have 10 beds for men and 10 beds for women for dual diagnosis. That's individuals that have a substance use issue and then also been diagnosed with mental health. Is that sufficient? Absolutely not. It's not sufficient. And well, I was,
1: you know, t- told by some folks that, you know, a lot of times for an addict, it's it's really they could they're only gonna get help or be helped when they want to you know, when they decide I want help. Right. And they said they said that moment of, you know, I want help. There's a small window there where they, you know, and if they go to say I want help and they say okay, you have to wait three months or six months, then it's usually not gonna. They're not going to fly. The time is they need lost. the help quick, right? Well, when they decide they want the help and they want to get better,
0: well, we have a, I have a um, sheet from a guy that was in transitional housing that I had helped several times, um, and he is now being housed at Spring Creek. But he went to the parole board, and his plan was to be asked to be released to. Um, either treatment parole to treatment or them somehow get his custody level dropped to medium so that he could go to treatment and they denied his parole and in that paperwork it stated be good for a year and then you could quite possibly go to treatment and so my mind I'm like this is not this isn't this is not rehabilitation you don't If somebody wants to to go to treatment and better themselves, it should be readily available as as soon as somebody asks to go. It shouldn't be a year, six months, three months. And diversion and prevention is the key to uh, increasing our public safety if we really want to see public safety then we need to start focusing on getting individuals the help that they need right away and providing more services in the case of kelsey green if her parents were able to get their daughter into treatment and detoxed uh she wouldn't have been in jail and had died
1: so uh, speaking of kelsey again in your post you uh had referenced um, he was in the story. Bill, former Senator Bill Stoltz, he had been visiting her, and he'd, there was a phone conversation. And and you had said that you had talked to him, or at a, at a, was it at a hearing? Or
0: yes, I had um, been testifying um, about reform, and, and I think it was days before Kelsey had passed away, and I had gotten up there in front of the Valley legislators at the Palmer. Um, Senior house, senior center, yeah, senior center, and had stated that it's super important that we provide detox. That our jails and prisons are not set up for that, and that it we would it would be better to get the people help on the outside with proper medical care. And after that, after I testified, I had a conversation with him, and he told me to my face that being a drug addict was a crime. Huh. And I told him being an addict was not a crime. A crime is when somebody com- steals or does something due to their addiction. But being an addict, just being an addict is not a crime.
1: Isn't ironic because he, uh, you know, that phone call with her. I don't know if you heard it. Yeah, I listened you know, to it. He, he had obviously known her somehow. And there's some thoughts about how they knew each other. Um, from where she was, maybe the strip club she used to work at, that's what that that's what I read in the, some of the articles. But yes, he he had um, you know, clearly known her. So and she's an addict. So you know, that's just kind of ironic that he would. I think he was trying to, on some level, maybe help her. And he said he was trying to get her the money. He didn't want to have his name on it though. Right. So he was gonna. Yeah, it was a weird phone call.
0: Well, in my personal opinion, because I have lived in that world, that, you know. If he wasn't guilty of anything, he wouldn't have deleted his Facebook. He would have helped, you know, talked with the parents.
1: Well, I think the mom, didn't the mom say that she wishes he would have called her? You know, after she, after he spoke with Kelsey, I think they said they wish he would have said, hey, you know, she, she needs help or, you know.
0: Yeah, but the stigma around have being connected to somebody that's a drug addict and being
1: well also when you're 50 something and she's 20 she was 23 yeah I think there's another. that's another thing people would another stigma probably people would right absolutely yeah. well um Theria, right yes this has been a great conversation I want to thank you for I mean I don't, it doesn't seem like it's very hard for you to you probably talk about this all the time so I think most people don't want to talk about stuff like this so I appreciate you doing this and Having a conversation. It's uh, yeah. a lot different than my average podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I
0: appreciate you asking me. I think that it's essential that.
1: Yeah, I want to give Roger a th- shout out. He had tagged me in your post. That's why I saw it. He had tagged me in it. So. Yeah. And then I, I messaged you, and yeah. here we are.
0: Well, I appreciate it.
1: Well, you know, I, it's probably seems like a lot of work, but I think maybe sometimes it seems like it's not going to be effective. But, you know, I think the more you do stuff like this, the more it helps. And more, sometimes you just need to talk to one person, you know, and they. Legislator, for example, they might, they might change their mind or they might see a different side of it.
0: Right. Well, I think that more than anything, the reason why I talk about it so much is I've gotten over the shame of my own past. And I think that breaking the stigma is the biggest, big breaking the stigma of having a criminal record and being convicted felon, but also breaking the stigma of addiction. And If we really want to save community, we need to start investing in our people and not prisons, and that's just where I'm at with it. And um, I think that if anybody, um, I'd really like the listeners to consider watching the CNN uh, documentary, the episode that I'm in on May 19th at five o'clock Alaska time. Yeah, it's called. It's called the Redemption Project,
1: and it's hosted by Van Jones. Oh yeah, he's he's always on. He's on Bill Maher a lot. Yeah, I like Bill Maher. So all right, well I'll make sure to watch it. and I'll share it when I when it comes out. And I really appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been a great conversation. Yeah, well, we'll thank maybe, you inviting me. Yeah, maybe we'll maybe we'll do it again sometime. Yes, absolutely. Okay, thanks again, all folks. Right. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, uh, let me know, and uh, we'll uh, you'll hear from me next time.
0: Landline.